Thank you to our sponsor, Open Society Foundations, an organization that works to build vibrant and tolerant societies whose governments are accountable and open to the participation of all people. When black women's voices are in the room, when we have decision-making power, stuff changes. And budget power. And budget power. Don't just talk to me. We don't got the And we don't got the resources. Y'all want us to use the magic to make it all happen with no coin. And we not getting. And they don't want us to pay us for the magic. Hashtag Tell Black Stories podcast was created as an extension of Color of Change's Hollywood Culture Project, an initiative changing the rules in Hollywood, ensuring accurate, diverse, empathetic, and human portrayals of black people on television and throughout the media landscape. This is Hashtag Tell Black Stories, live from the 2019 Sundance Film Festival, and I'm your host, Baratunde Thurston. Today, I am joined by three power brokers, three superstars. In no particular order, I will start with Simone Sanders a CNN political commentator, the former national press secretary for Bernie Sanders' 2016 presidential campaign, and a self-described spokesperson for the culture. Welcome, Simone. Greetings. I'm also joined by Alencia Johnson, the director of public engagement at Planned Parenthood Federation of America and the Planned Parenthood Action Fund. She works every day to change perceptions of reproductive rights for communities of color as well as young people. Welcome, Alencia and Arisha Hatch, the Managing Director of Campaigns at Color of Change, leading civic engagement, voting rights, corporate accountability, and media work for the nation's largest online racial justice organization. Welcome, Arisha. Thank you. I'm happy to welcome all of y'all to hashtag Tell Black Stories. And since we are here in Park City, Utah at Sundance, can we just go down the line and get a quick answer for what brings you to the Sundance Film Festival this year, Simone. Well, what brings me to the Sundance Film Festival is I'm a tag-along. Okay, so I'm here to support the amazing work that Alinti is doing at Planned Parenthood, and I'm happy to be here. I love the realness. Thank you for that. <laughs> We're real. It's family, right? Yes, this is very much a family conversation. This is actually my second Sundance uh, with Planned Parenthood. We have been doing sex politics film and TV for about five years now, which engages content creators on uh, storylines around reproductive health care, access to birth control, contraceptions, STI testing and treatment, um, and abortion storylines. And then as of last year, we actually partnered with Color Change at the Black House Foundation and did a conversation in addition to the reception we did a conversation on black women and TV and film, and this year we are continuing our partnerships with some of the creators of color, and we're doing something at the Macro Lodge uh, with black women content creators as well. Okay, so busy. We're busy. Yes. We're busy. I got yeah. a lot to support. Yes, so that's <laughs> and why we've got some on. policy implications that we're trying to talk about more, which I'm sure we'll get into Yes, today. we will. Yes, we will. And what brings you here, Risha? It's my first time at Sundance. Welcome. Um, and I am here supporting the Tell Black Stories campaign. Um, we had a wonderful midnight brunch Friday mm -hmm. with all sorts of content creators and celebrities. Um, and we're just here to push for and encourage more representations of black people that are empathetic, that are nuanced, that are fresh, that are non-stereotypical. And we're here to celebrate so many of the content creators that are doing that. So we gave an award to Color Creative, Issa Rae, um, and Denise's project for all the work that they're doing, trying to create a deeper pipeline mm -hmm. of people of color creatives. And so, yeah, we're here rooting for as many black stories as possible. So you're here advocating, you're here to be a critical voice, but also be a celebratory voice, because it sounds like you're here to celebrate some pieces as well. Uh, I want to get into a little bit of a historical perspective on the role of black women in America, which can be seen in some ways as a country that expects so much from black women to literally provide life 
from birth to death to bear the burden and to carry power, but never own it, to never be recognized for it. How do you, each and any of you, recognize that tension and that dichotomy of having so many expectations of power, but having a country that feels so uncomfortable with you holding it because you are all very powerful in the positions and the work that you've done? Oh, that's a deep question. <laughs> You know, I, I guess I think about everything through the lens, of, which is why I love this project that Color of Change has, because I think of everything through the lens of communications, perhaps because I'm a communications professional. And I think about politics specifically and how black women have literally moved so many things in politics forward for years. But only recently has the, you know, the media apparatus, and I would venture to say the political parties, have awoken to the contributions of black women. All of a sudden, you have all these profiles stories talking about black women are a new uh, voting block. <laughs> we ain't new. We We're have been there. here. We've yeah. been there. And so I think the fact that the masses have just now come to the place where they are recognizing now, not just the contributions, but the vital importance of black women's voices in positions of power, when it's just now happening in, in 2019, that's concerning for me. So it, it lets me know we have so much, so, so far, so much farther to go. It's so interesting you say that because I think about when we were Planned Parenthood was a huge is a huge supporter of the Women's March and the movement, mm -hmm. and you know folks recognize us for our organizing power, and of course we have to be in the center of women galvanizing, and it was so intersectional, and I'm so grateful that at this time it was like, hey, actually let's have women of color be the center of this conversation because up until 2016, most people who weren't women of color, who weren't Black women, thought. It was all roses. And folks woke up the day after election day in November of 2016, and we were like, well, welcome to our reality. Mm -hmm. Like, we've been dealing with this since mm -hmm. birth, welcome right? Welcome to America. Welcome to America. <laughs> and I love what you said about giving life. We are the life givers to this world, literally and figuratively. And you know, as I think about culture and the center of culture, there's this movement happening in Hollywood now where everyone wants a piece of black girl magic. But we've been here, right? We are the center of culture, and you're capitalizing off of it. I'm so glad that folks like Color of Change are doing this work. You know, you have Macro, you have so many different production companies from Issa and Ava and Shonda and just Lena, so many different folks who are black women who are like, I'm actually going to determine how we show up on screen because we have to deal with every day that folks see black girl magic and they think we're superhuman. So therefore we don't have vulnerabilities. We don't hurt, we don't cry, we don't have shortcomings. And when we do, folks look over them. And that's why, you know, it took Beyonce and Serena Williams talking about their childbirth experience for folks to talk about maternal mortality. Which is right? crazy. It, it takes folks, you know, being vulnerable about, I go to therapy every week. And folks look at me like I'm crazy, but if I wasn't a black woman, they wouldn't think that, right? They think I'm supposed to be able to take care of myself, my community, my company, Everybody. Even though the song says, I'm not your superwoman. I'm not your superwoman. <laughs> I mean, like Jesse Williams said at the BET Awards, just because we're magic doesn't mean we're not real. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, having us determine our stories, not just being the ones on screen, but determining our stories, and whether that's in entertainment or in politics, whatever you're doing, that's helping show the realness and the humanity of us. Arisha, when we think and talk about protection, this is a theme where black women in this country have not been the most protected, in fact, probably the least, mm -hmm. but have been the most criminalized or punished on the other side mm -hmm. of that. It's, it's a continuation of, well, you must be good, you're super powerful, you're magic, do all this work, and have no issues and have no challenges and have no vulnerability, and then pay the price mm -hmm. as well. What work is there being done through your work with Color of Change or elsewhere 
to right that wrong and bring some balance right. to that sense of value and, and uh, being seen. Right, well we've, as folks know, Color of Change is an organization that is dedicated to improving the lives of black people. Yeah. And uh, the longer we've been organizing, the more we've realized that our membership base, or more than 1.4 million members, are predominantly black women. Um, and so we've really focused um, in the last couple of years on centering their leadership, centering their development, and more than that, centering a sense of appreciation for them. So we've been hosting these black women's brunches across the country, um, where women are just like getting together, forming communities, um, and thinking about ways not only to take care of themselves, but also ways to take care of their communities. And so. Oftentimes, we're talking about a reproductive justice or a reproductive rights conversation, and it's very solely focused on access to abortion or access to health care. And we are doing work, and um, folks like um, Alencia and so many others are trying to like expand the conversation of what it means for black women to have full autonomy over our bodies. Mm -hmm. And so that means, you know, our organizer, Ariana Hawk in Flint, Michigan, who is single issue and wanting to get clean water for her son and for her community. Like, that is a reproductive justice issue. Yeah. Our organizer... It's a human rights it's issue. It's a human yeah. rights <laughs> issue. Our organizer, Kiana, down in um, Florida, who was uh, formerly incarcerated, who worked to pass Amendment 4 so that women like her could have more voting power. As we see about the stories of how uh, senior ground laws are unequally applied, how we have so many black women who are survivors of domestic abuse, um, who are there in self-defense, who end up in jail and end up criminalized. And so we're taking like a holistic mm -hmm. view to what it takes to improve black women's lives. And that's about education. That's about the economy. That's about so many different things. Uh -huh. Alincia, I want to ask you about your work with Planned Parenthood and centering black women in the story of reproductive rights when historically it's been so centered on white women. Yeah, I mean, I think kind of to what Arisha was saying, learning from reproductive justice leaders who are women of color who created this framework over 20 years ago with predominantly black women and some powerful black women who signed on to, before that, who signed on to a statement and a resolution about how abortion care shows up for black women. It included Auntie Maxine, and included your Donna Brazils and Faye Wallaton and Shirley Chisholm, all of these amazing, powerful women who say, these issues impact us, but the framework doesn't include us. And Planned Parenthood, since I've been there for almost six years, and we have really in that time listened to women of color, not only in the organization, but externally. Sometimes we had to get called in, yeah. but we learned. We use that as a learning opportunity and what that framework meant and that for black women in particular, we're thinking about the community that I'm going to be in and is it gonna be safe for my black child to live here? Whether or not it's the police, whether or not it's education or am I living in a food desert? All of that impacts my ability to have agency over my body. And so, you know, I will say some of my non-black women colleagues and I, we've had some tough conversations together to learn, you know, how are you showing up for me and centering these experiences? Um, right now we're talking about the Title X program, which covers uh, about four million patients in the United States who are trying to have access to reproductive health care, whether birth control, contraception, SCI testing and treatment. Um, it's a federal program for low-income folks. And majority of those people are people of color. And the Trump-Pence administration is trying to dismantle it. And so we are trying to center those most marginalized, because it's not just the attack on health care that we're facing. There's voting rights, there's public charge, there's immigration, there are all of these issues. And 
We're over 100 years in at Planned Parenthood. We did some soul searching. Mm -hmm. There's some conversations out there, and some, you know, I'm gonna be honest, this family here, right? Yes. Some yes. of this is pushed by like some hotep theology, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's not all real, but some you of better it speak actually on the hotep it, is, it is. Some of that is perpetuated by white men, white men who are trying to sow discord in black communities and not let us have agency over our bodies and our families. But some of the critiques are right, are warranted, and we had to learn to not be so singularly focused on accessing birth control because if you're not looking at people holistically, yeah. you could actually cause more harm to folks, whether or not they are people of color or people who might be living with a disability. And so we've been learning from pain points. And I've had people who ask me, well, how do you work there? It's, you know, it's very much um, seen as a white woman's issue. And I said, well, that's actually why I'm there. Yeah. Like somebody's gotta be on the inside, to right? To change that narrative. And to, to that. change that narrative. But also there are so many black women who are on our board, who are healthcare providers, who are making huge decisions for the organization. And we're holding us accountable to the belief that your body is your own and no one's free until we're all free. And you have not only the right to play in your families, but you also have the right to be sexually liberated. And that's something we don't talk about, yeah. but that is also the crux of reproductive justice. So we're doing that work. Yeah. A lot of that has, is because they have me out here talking about mm -hmm. it. But it also, you know, I go to so many different places and folks are like, just hearing from you changes the conversation. Yeah. Um, I spoke at ComplexCon a few months ago and it was so interesting walking in there. I was like, I don't know how they're gonna perceive this because mm -hmm. they listen to like the Nick Cannons of the world who don't really get down with reproductive rights. But people were so eager for the information, especially our queer brothers and sisters who don't have folks listening um, to their experiences. Yeah. And so, yeah, you know, we're, we're learning yeah. and we're grateful for partners like Color of Change and grateful for an organization now that is actually letting black women be the voices for some of these issues. That was comprehensive. The way that we think about story, I just think you brought it to light in another way because it's not just about Hollywood and on camera, right? It's the political story we tell ourselves. It's a story of power that we tell. It's the story of who is a victim or who is deserving of empathy. Right, right. And in the story in this nation, we talk about the white working class mm -hmm. and we skip over yep. the black and brown working class and what they're going through. I wanna know in a country that has so depended on a particular cohort for its life and its resource, black women, it would be logical for that group to get the most resources, right? We talk about the military, give them whatever they want, right? Give them stuff they don't even ask for because they're defending our freedoms. What would it look like? What would America look like? What would that story feel and sound like if resources were allocated proportionate to the expectations, to the burdens, and to the work that's been done? I think we'd, we would be better off. What would America look like? I think it would, it would represent more parity. It would be more equitable. I mean, last week, people were celebrating and marking the commemorative passing of Roe v. Wade, mm -hmm. which people talk about it as a quote-unquote white woman's issue, um, abortion access. But before Roe v. Wade in New York, it was a disproportionate number of black and brown women that were dying from um, abortion. So abortions were happening, they just weren't safe. But this month is also the month where we celebrate the life and legacy of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And and uh, Dr. King, I know everybody wants to talk about Dr. King pre-1965, exactly. but I'm here for post-1965 King. Tell okay? it, 
And Dr. King, in an interview with NBC News in 1967, a long-form interview in May 1967, talked about how he fears that his dream had become a nightmare. And he had integrated his people into a burning house. And he talked about the issue of genuine equality. And genuine equality, according to Dr. King, was addressing economic inequality. Mm -hmm. That's where the Poor People's Campaign came from. So Dr. King told us already what it would look like if black women, if black people had um, their due, if it was a equi more equitable society. He's talking about eradicating the slums. He's talking about eradicating poverty. He was talking about fair housing, all things that he got pushed back on in post-1965 and things that we're still fighting for today. And so I think what would society look like, for lack of a better term, it would be better, but it would be more equitable. And I think we need to talk more about equity and not just equality, because, you know, some, I need equity. I don't need equality. I need a little equity. I need what I need. And can you break down how you're defining the difference between equity and equality? Look, equity means, I mean, there's a, there's a meme, I think, um, that I've seen where these kids that are going to a baseball game. Yep. And there's one meme that says equality, where all the kids have the same stool that they're standing on to see over the ledge at the baseball game. But all of the children are not the same height. And so somebody still can't see. Right. Equity is when everybody's box is for them. So we have different heights of boxes because we need different stuff. Equity is we talk about women only make 79 cents for every dollar the white man makes white women. Black women make 64 cents and Latina women make 54 cents for every dollar the white man makes. That's equity. Because don't just be filling the gap for the 79 cents. So we need to talk more about equity and be very intentional about our language. And sometimes equity makes people uncomfortable. But in the spirit, if we talk about in the spirit of Dr. King and the spirit of folks like Auntie Maxine, Donna Brazil, Fannie Lou Hamer, all people with which we would not be sitting here without today, who were very forceful in telling our stories, we have to be willing to be uncomfortable ourselves but make other people uncomfortable. And it, it sounds as well like equity means not giving everybody the same, but giving everybody what they need what to succeed. What they need to exactly. succeed. Yes. Well, but the, the hard part of what she's saying is like folks get so uncomfortable with that because folks will say, well, what about me, though? Well, what about me? I mean, I, I still need help, too. But folks aren't, they talk about they want the level playing field. Mm -hmm. Most of the people who critique equity are the people who like to say, well, you can just pull your boots up, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Well, if you ain't got no bootstraps. Well, if you ain't got no bootstraps, right? Or Velcro. <laughs> or like, right? Or like, my house is burning, but you expected me to like turn the fire out with uh, dirty water. Like, what is happening here? And so I think, we have to have these uncomfortable conversations and we have to also show people that when everyone's free, it's like the curb cut effect. When they, they thought that, you know, the folks who designed sidewalks literally thought that they were just helping people with disabilities when they were putting the slant on the curb, they realized that women with strollers, people who were injured, like there were mm. so many different people who benefited from there being a cut in the curb of the sidewalk that's the same with equity. That's when you good. are saying, it's like, good. Good. It's like yeah. Yeah. That's right. yeah. <laughs> okay. But literally, I'm so when you, that. you should, I'm gonna send it to you, okay. the whole piece. Yeah. That was a cliff note. Okay, come <laughs> on. But it is true, when you center the most marginalized, guess who else gets free? Everybody. We all get free. Can I say something really? about, can I say something about Arisha's work in the color change work? Cause through one of the groups I work with, Parties USA, the PAC and the C4 side, we did a project with Color of Change. And um, it was a project focusing on African-American millennials and unregistered voters, which sounds like an oxymoron, but it's definitely a thing, okay? They're unregistered.
registered people. If they were registered, they would be voters or whatever. And the like having the voice of Arisha and her team in the room from the rooter to the tutor, from concept to implementation was so important because it allowed a different perspective. And so like it's one thing for me to be in a room saying the same thing all day, every day. But to have Arisha's team say, well, actually, these are some of the things that we are doing a color change. These are some of the things we need to look look at. These are some of the things that we are hearing from our membership. Totally changed the perspective of so many people in our organization and on the project. Stuff that wouldn't have happened had Arisha's voice not been in the room. And when black women's voices are in the room, when we have decision-making power, stuff changes. And budget power. Right? And, 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 and budget, budget power. power. Okay, don't just talk to me. Now. And we don't got the resources. Y'all want us to use the magic <laughs> to make it all happen with no coins. And no, we not getting, and they money. don't want us to pay us for the magic. Yeah. Yeah. But back to your original question, like I think if black women rule the world and we I love the reinterpretation. I love it. I was just like what's America resource. And we had a coalition of allies support us, mm-hmm. yes. right? And we're just trying to knock on that like glass ceiling, you know, even today, you know, in, in these recent elections. But, you know, I wonder, I've been at Color of Change for seven years and we've been through Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. We're now in a Me Too moment. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're trying to change the way the criminal justice system is focused. Like, do we have to have those conversations? Do we have Trump elected if, no, um, not if we people were willing to follow the mm. voices, the moral authority, the instinct and intuition of Black women and Black people? I think um, the statistics bear that out. Yeah. No, yeah. Yeah. right. Ninety-something yeah. percent yeah. of black women did not vote for him, yeah. so we would not be here. Yeah, but I think we're, you know, like Simone every day on CNN, on a world where black women ruled, you know, she wouldn't be such a unicorn. I mean, she's a unicorn right. and she's magical, but I would guess that she holds a lot of pressure mm-hmm. of being one of the singular voices mm-hmm. um, that is acting as a translator um, into non-black communities. So pressure. Let's point at that for a moment. I'm thinking of my mother, mm-hmm. who survived a lot for me to be able to be here. I'm thinking about my sister, who survived a lot for us to be able to be here. My sister was one of 25 black assistant managing editors in all of American newspapers for a time, which was a very recent time, right? That's not like the 1800s or the 1950s. That was the 2010s when that was a a true statement. And the flip side of the magic and of the not being everyone's superwoman and of the, the lack of empathy for vulnerability, what's the message that you send to young black girls that being a black woman isn't just this cross to bear, right. isn't just this bucket to carry, that there is joy and love and silliness and the upside of life in that as well, even while you're dealing with your own stuff. I mean, I think it, it goes back to the, the storytelling. We got to see a premiere of Boomerang that's show, premiering on BET, and it was showing black professional millennials being real and going through all the professional pressures, but also just figuring out life. And we've been in a lot of rooms and different conversations about telling black stories nowadays and making sure that they're human so that it's not this superhero black person who is this high achieving, everything's perfect. Let's show ourselves flaws and all because I think young people particularly those who are looking at social media, and I focus group my little cousin all the time, a teenager, they see two images, I think. They see this professional put together black woman who's just super magic, or they see something, a little discord, you know, putting themselves out there, but they don't understand that you can be in all these different spaces and then still be real. I think what it boils down to, though, is that Black girls have to feel valued because when you feel valued, you can be liberated. You can lean into your power, but you can also lean into your vulnerability. And until we 
really show black girls that they are valued, I think we're continuing to, to perpetuate this cycle. I agree. But I also think there's something to be said about instilling in young black women, and even some not so young black women, that sometimes we are looking for value from places that are never going to validate That's true. us. That's true. And if you and if you continuously reach out and you're searching for value from a place or people that don't even think you deserve to be there in the first place, you will be waiting for a really long time. Yep. And that, like, I do, like, everybody, I feel a lot of pressure. I feel a lot of pressure to not get too angry on television because the fact the matter is, I am not tall, light, skin, skinny with long hair. Okay? And so me saying something and raising my voice is taken differently than, you know, Sarah saying something and raising her voice. Not and, to mention Tim. And not to mention Tim, okay? <laughs> Tim can bang the table. Tim can tell me to shut up. I mean, in the time where this, um, the former attorney general of Virginia one time told me to Cuchinelli. shut up on television. That man <laughs> told me to shut up on national television before people had even had their cocoa puffs. Uh -huh. And I had to make a split-second decision. Because <laughs> one, I wanted to come back to work the next day. Uh -huh. But two, I knew that, like, like, so many people across the country, maybe my niece was watching that morning, and I don't want any young woman, I don't want any woman, period, but especially any young woman of color, to think somebody has the right to shut your voice down and definitely tell you to shut up while they at work, not on my watch. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think that, like, no, split-second decision is yep. a decision that we as black people have to make so Every many day. times, whether you're time. on CNN, yeah. whether you're de a police officer is talking mm -hmm. wrong to you, whether someone's following you around um, a mall while mm -hmm. you're shopping, um, that like split second decision making can be the difference between life and death or livelihood and death. And so, you know, what I want for black girls, and I think, you know, as girls and as young women, we're taught to not speak up, right. um, to sort of keep ourselves in sort of a box, mm -hmm. um, to manage our emotions mm -hmm. because, you don't want to be the angry black girl. You don't want to be the angry black girl. Um, and, you know, progress means that we can have moods. Like, we exactly. can. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's, it's almost as if you're saying, we can be people. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like, oh I can my 2019. I don't have to smile. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. Like, I'm just tired today. Also, stop telling me to smile. Mm -hmm. Like, please. Okay. So we need to educate some other people yes. About, yes. about, we need to educate some other people and be intentional about changing some other folks' language. So while black women are out here mm -hmm. being liberated, and living in these various levels and intersections of who we are. Some of y'all need to get liberated. Mm -hmm. And quit asking me questions about why my nails look like this and why I got on street jewelry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I hope they heard that. They heard it. I hope they heard that. We are here at Sundance. This is about hashtag tell black stories. You are all storytellers in different domains. What's a new story you want to see in the world? God, I love the there, size. Okay, I well, because I, ugh, I struggle with that because there are so many good stories that are being told right now by black women. I know we mentioned like Lena and Issa and all these folks, but also Dream doing what she did yes. to mm -hmm. get surviving R. Mm -hmm. Kelly out there. And shout out to Color of Change for being so deeply invested into that movement even before it became, you know, the documentary series. I do want to see more stories about us having agency over our bodies. I read this article a few months ago that said the abortion storylines are getting less white. Now, at one point, over 80% of abortion storylines on TV and film were white middle class women. Mm. That is not 
the actual stats no, of, of what's happening that's in a, the world. That's a false world. But because of the writers, the black women writers on Dear White People mm -hmm. and Claws, you have these very real stories of women who are not downtrodden. They're making a very informed decision because we're guess what? We're smart. Like I know what's happening <laughs> to my body. I'm smart. Newsflash. Newsflash for black smart. Women smart. Right? But then, you know, talking with some of the writers, um, Jerry Brown is amazing at Dear White People, and she's just talking about how they're going to just be showing, you know, the different characters going through uh, conversations of consent and sex and all of this stuff in ways that aren't so damning and stigmatizing. You can enjoy sex, but also have consenting sex, right? Mm -hmm. Or you can take care of your body, or you can talk about STDs or getting checked up in a way that doesn't feel like, oh my God, I'm gonna die tomorrow, because that's actually not the reality. And so I wanna see those real stories that, quite frankly, we're all having a, you know, at brunch on Sunday after church or whatever it may be and showing the ebbs and flows in people's lives is just so powerful and so those are the stories that I hope that are continued to be told and then honestly back to what I was starting saying about Dream and surviving R. Kelly and fighting stories that fight for the visibility mm -hmm. of black girls especially black girls is so important. I want the stories to fight for our visibility. I want to see more stories about powerful black women and women of color and up and coming powerful black women and women of color that tells the full story and the totality of their lives. Like, that's why I liked being Mary Jane. Because I was like, oh, damn, am I Mary Jane? Like, what is going on? I want to see more stories like Mary that. Jane. that I think I feel like I'm Mary Jane these days, literally. That's why I liked Boomerang when I saw the preview yesterday, um, the BET preview, because it seemed very real. Like, these were yeah. young black people navigating, like, their professional lives, but also their personal lives, yeah. dealing with relationships. I want to see more stories like that told though from the perspective of people Come of on. color okay yes. i don't want gotcha. i don't want white people pontificating white about man. what Writing young about black people are doing okay Arisha don't pontificate i just want i want to see more insecures i yeah. want to see yeah. Yeah. Um, more black women friend groups yes. that are like yes. battling through the things that um me and my friends battle through i want to see more class like we're in a very like yep rich, everything has to be like luxury. Right. Um, and you know, there are other stories to be told that I think are really important. There was this um, series on, on Netflix called Seven Seconds that had like oh, several oh. amazing black women characters. Yeah. One was like the prosecutor mm -hmm. and she was amazing and she had Ooh. alcoholism issues and that you know, all sorts story? of things. And I mm. think that's, uh, we're full people. We don't have to be perfect. Yeah. And I wanna see more stories that reflect that. Yeah. You've inspired me to, to submit my own story wish into the pile. Uh, my mother was a computer programmer no. back in the early 1980s before many people had that. So I saw Hidden Figures. Did, I was going to say Hidden Figures. And I was like, that's my mama. That's my mama. That's my mama. <laughs> and then, but a bigger realization happened where we've had the story of the moon and space mm -hmm. exploration of America mm -hmm. a lot. And these women were never visible. Mm -hmm. Right. How many other stories do we think we know? Yeah. Where there is a story behind that story, which enabled the one that yeah. we've been hearing. Wow. The other hidden stories that add that truth to the sort of mythology yep. of our history, yep. which is part of how we're so twisted up in the way we are. I want to thank yeah. all three of you for helping us tell more black stories. Hashtag tell black stories. Hashtag. The podcast live at Sundance. Simone, Alencia, Arisha. It's been so real. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Shout out Color Change. Yeah. Thank you. Shout out to Color Change. <laughs>
For more on the hashtag Tell Black Stories podcast, visit storytellers.colorofchange.org slash podcast.